All right, Trustee Batterjee, I'm ready when you are. All right, good evening, fellow trustees, uh, members of the leadership team and our guests. Uh, today we'll start with a 10 minute uh, audit and compliance special meeting, and then we'll move on to our finance committee meeting. So with this, I open the May 3rd audit and compliance um, meeting open. Uh, Madam uh, Clerk, would you please call roll? Yes, Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Splendorio. Here, but I'm trying to follow who's on. There's only three people on this committee. Will you take a roll? Right. Uh, we do have uh, chair is Trustee Friedman and uh, Jen Estee. Trustee. No. Uh, so Trustee uh, Splendorio and, and Chair Banerjee. Uh, Trustee or Chair Banerjee will count towards quorum for uh, audit and compliance. She's agreed to chair. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Um, so welcome, Trustee Obagasuna and Trustees Sian. And would you would we call roll? Um, yeah, let's let's call roll again because Trustee Obligacion just made it. Um, uh, so, Trustee Banerjee still. Welcome back. Okay, all right, all right. Apologies. All right, Trustee Banerjee here. Trustee Splendorio here. Trustee Obligacion here. All right, the Audit Compliance Committee is has a quorum and is ready to go. Okay. Are there any requests for public comment? No. All right. So we have one item on the agenda, and that is the appointment of our external audit firm. And I'm going to turn it over to Ms. Kim Miranda and uh, Marilyn Boston to share. Thank you. Kim, you want to um, share? Give me just one moment to pull it up. Marilyn, did you want to start with some opening comments at all? Um, I can. Basically, we called for this because um, our Huron contract uh, is about to expire and we need to extend that. And some of the work that's going to start is uh, supposed to be effective June 1st. And so we needed to get an approval for this contract before that work will begin. Thank you, Marilyn. So uh, we put together a, a brief uh, um, presentation about the audit. Um, we currently use uh, Moss Adams. Moss Adams has been with us for the last seven years. Um, we have had successful audits. They've been done you know, timely. Uh, we found this firm to be responsive and knowledgeable. They are ranked number 11 within the United States and they have an extensive healthcare practice. Um, the firm is ranked number one in California for single audit submissions, and we do have a lot of single audit work that needs to be done, so um, it's nice that they, uh, they have that ranking. Um, they also partner with us for the CARES and FEMA reporting. So um, in finance, because the rules were evolving and we wanted to make sure we were compliant and we needed to know if we had to pay back money, we engaged with Moss Adams upfront and they've been doing all of the filings with us. So they've been reviewing everything. My staff meet with them regularly. 
Um, and what Moss Adams does to ensure that they are um, keeping the industry standard for rotations, and we'll talk about rotations a little more in a minute, but what they do is they rotate their partners, manager, and staff every few years, and um, the, the independent review partner is assigned um, as an added level of assurance. So there's like an extra partner that looks at everything afterwards. So those are some of the things that they're doing to make sure that they maintain their independence. Next slide, please. All right, so um, the benefits of sticking with the same firm is we do have a relationship. We know them, they know us. Um, there's a standardization uh, developed with the work papers. So um, everyone kind of knows what information needs to be provided. And we're not teaching somebody new about all of this. And so what that means is a 9% reduction in fees. So going with the same audit firm does typically save costs. Um, if there's some change in scope, like a new pronouncement, of course, that wouldn't be included into these fees. Um, we're recommending that we renew with Moss Adams for three more years. We take advantage of the savings. The total contract would be 383750 If we only wanted to go one year, which the, the committee does need to consider, the um, one year would be $294,000 rather than the 288. So um, I did a little research um, on the rotation requirements of auditors and audit firms. So those are two different things. There is the rotation of an auditor, which is uh, the independent or the uh, independent and the relationship partner of the engagement. And then there's this idea of you need a whole new firm. All right. So I went, when I did this research, I see that non-public companies and non-profits are not required to rotate at all, okay? But then you've got to worry about whether you are getting an independent objective audit, right? So I don't know that we want to land there. Um, I went out to the state of California and what the officer of the controller says is that you should have a new partner, individual partner, not a new firm every six years or after the sixth financial um, statement. And there's no uh, need to change audit companies. And we went out to the uh, county of Alameda and we can see MGMO has been their audit firm for some time. It's, 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 I don't know if it's 10 years, but it's as far as I could go back in the, in the, in the research that I was doing. But there is this new requirement from the Independent Regulatory Board of Auditors, the IRBA, and what they are saying, and it's effective 4123 for those that fall under this guidance, you must rotate every 10 years and you have to have a five year cooling off period. And the partners on the engagement can only be on for five years. So, um, we're recommending we go ahead and renew for the three because that would put us at 10. Uh, and then at that point, I think if we want to adopt industry standard, we may need to have to go out to bid at that point in time. Yeah. So 
any questions? It's kind of a lot that the uh, the regulations or the, the recommendations have been evolving quite a bit in the last decade. Yeah, thank you, Kim. I mean, we've, this is the third time we are renewing with Moss Adams and we've had this conversation in the past too about like, are we doing our due diligence and doing that right? So this seems, I and also just for all of us, for our committee to uh, new members to know that this is a audit, external audit for AHS as well as our foundation. Correct. Correct. Thanks. Um, and uh, any questions? Uh, Trustees, Obigasios, and Julio. Um, so is the year to year, I mean, it's only, I was just like doing some calculation. If it's three years, it's 883,750. But if we do year to year, it, it's, it's cheaper. I mean, it's not big money, like just so something. For F, uh, FY23, if we do the three-year proposal, we're going to pay 288 the first year, 294 the second, and 3015 the third. Uh, if we do one year, you're going to pay more. It's not that much more. The difference is between 288 and 294. Thank you. All right. Any questions, Trustee Stendulio? I'm prepared to make a motion. All right. Let's. Um, can we have a motion, please? Uh, I'll move a uh, recommendation to the full board of trustees for approval of the appointment of Moss Adams as the external audit, external audit firm for fiscal year 23, 24, and 25. Thank you. Any Second. Second. All right. Uh, can you take the vote, please? Yes. Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Obligacion. Aye. And Trustee Spondoria. Aye. The motion passes. Thank you. All right. And I think with that, we adjourn our meeting. Thank you for this quick business. Thank you, Ms. Miranda. And now we can um, close the audit compliance meeting and move on to the uh, finance committee meeting. And I'll turn it over to Trustee Fox. Okay, thank you. Uh, committee meeting to order. Uh, Madam Clerk, can we have a uh, taking of attendance, please? Yes. Trustee Esteem. Here. Trustee Fox. Here. Trustee Obligacion. Here. Trustee Sain. Here. And Trustee Splendorio. Here. Do you have a quorum? Thank you. Okay, thank you. Uh, do we have... Chair Fox, if I may make an announcement. Um, sure. Chair Fox is joining uh, off-site at a remote location under just cost principles, and he's a he can't participate from uh, uh, his remote site. Thank you. Okay, thank you for that. Um, do we have any uh, requests for public comment tonight, Madam Clerk? We do. We have, uh, I believe, two. Um, Dr. Ajit Singh and Dr. Rami Bishai, but it may just be one of them. Yes, I'm present. Thank you. Okay. Uh, we welcome all public comment. As you know, we do not respond uh, at the time of comment, but uh, are happy to hear what, what uh, folks want to tell to the committee. So why don't we go ahead and start? Sure. Thank you so much for your time. My name is Dr. Ajit Singh, and I'm a resident physician at Highland Hospital in Internal Medicine. I'm a proud member of the Committee of Interns and Residents, and I'm part of our bargaining team representing over 130 resident physicians at AHS. As you know, we've been in negotiations since September of last year. Since then, AHS has 
repeatedly committed unfair labor practices, including delaying, presenting regressive proposals, and coming to the table without authority, which have drawn out negotiations to the point where the, at the end of the academic year is now less than two months away, and we've been without a contract since November of last year. <clears throat> CIR has come to the table in good faith again and again. We compromised on issues that mattered to our members because AHS repeatedly rejected our proposals. We also sped up our timeline to meet more frequently despite regularly working almost 80 hour weeks caring for the people of Oakland. Consistently, we get information to AHS as soon as possible and do everything to meet our obligation to bargain in good faith. We are concerned that our top priorities like childcare, paid parental leave, fertility benefits, call pay and overall compensation uh, that it, on our top priorities, we may need to engage in an unfair labor practice strike to a force AHS to come to the table in good faith. So just yesterday, our bargaining team voted unanimously to hold an unfair labor practice strike authorization vote next Wednesday and Thursday. As physicians, we care deeply about our patients and our health system. We simply want to be able to take care for our well-being and our families and attend to our lives outside of the hospital. We are hopeful that AHS can come to the table in good faith and meaningfully address our requests in contract negotiations, including the benefits we need to be healthy and well so that we can continue providing excellent patient care and attracting excellent and diverse applicants who reflect the diversity of our community to serve this community for years to come. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Dr. Singh. Uh, Madam Clerk, do we have another uh, member of the public speaking? Uh, doctor, is Dr. Bashai here? No, I'm speaking on behalf of the Committee of Interns and Residents. Okay, that's what I thought. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't discluding anybody. So that is the last public speaker. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Uh, before we go ahead with the agenda, um, I just want to let everyone know that the minutes that have been allocated to the various items on tonight's agenda <clears throat> well exceed the scheduled 120 minutes for the meeting. Uh, so I'm going to suggest uh, some a revision uh, to this schedule of minutes. And I would ask if there's any, any comment uh, from the presenters <clears throat> uh, to the contrary of what I'm suggesting, please pipe up. If not, uh, I will ask you to please honor the new allocation of minutes and uh, keep your uh, comments and presentation, including questions and answers uh, to the number of minutes that uh, we're going is going to allow us to finish this meeting within reasonable amount of time. Uh, we're allowing uh, five minutes for approval of the minutes of the two prior meetings, 10 minutes to the chair report, uh, 25 minutes to the chief financial officer report instead of the 30 that's on your agenda, 25 minutes to the chief operating officer's report instead of the 30 that's on your agenda. 25 minutes to the discussion of the 23-24 budget update, uh, 25 minutes instead of the 60 that's on the agenda, and 30 minutes for a discussion of contracts instead of the 45 minutes that's on the agenda. Um, uh, does anybody have any problem with uh, adhering to this revised allocation of time? Going once, going twice, I have a, a brief comment. While I don't have any problem adhering to it, I do think that it stifles discussion uh, in, the estimate, in the effort to attain brevity. And I think that could be harmful to our process. Uh, but let's see how it goes. 
Okay, well, I get the impression, and, and I might be wrong, that the, the fact that the time was not allocated to total 120 minutes was basically an oversight and not necessarily uh, an allocation of what was really needed for each item. Uh, so with that, why don't we move ahead? Uh, the first item uh, is the approval of the minutes of March 1st and April 6th. Uh, I'll move approval, Alan. Thank you. Is there a second to that motion? Second. Any comment or additions, corrections, or revisions that uh, the members of the committee would like to recommend? Can we have a roll call, please, Madam Kirk? Trustee Esteem. <clears throat> Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Obligacion. Aye. Trustee Sign. Aye. Trustee Splendorio. Aye. The motion passes. Thank you. Uh, next on the agenda, item B1 is the chair report. And we circulated with the agenda package an article about uh, Kaiser's acquisition of Geisinger Healthcare. Uh, Geisinger is a very prominent uh, East Coast healthcare system located in, uh, I believe it's Western Pennsylvania. Um, a lot of us uh, in California don't know much about it, but uh, on the East Coast, it is considered one of the highest quality, best run organizations. Um, and this article is, is in your packet, uh, not so much for a lengthy discussion, but to just uh, make folks aware of what's going on uh, in the healthcare market and environment. Uh, Kaiser, uh, probably the largest HMO in the country, uh, an operator of hospitals and of health plans, uh, uh, purchasing, uh, purchasing Geisinger. Geisinger will continue to operate independently uh, and will uh, be part of a new uh, organization called Ryzen Healthcare. Um, interesting, this is not in the article, but in a different article I read, the CEO of uh, Geisinger stated that joining Kaiser in this new Ryzen Health organization will give Geisinger a turbo boost to accelerate value-based care in diverse multi-payer communities and multi-provider communities. Interesting to note that he will also transition to being CEO of Ryzen after the deal closes. So uh, as often happens in, in conglomeration of healthcare organizations, uh, uh, somebody in his position benefits. On the other hand, you could look at it and say, well, this is gonna give Geisinger a very big seat at the table, so their organization will benefit as well. Uh, organizations like Geisinger uh, uh, go into mergers like this uh, <laughs> for better access to capital and to benefit from Kaiser's experience in systems in managing population-based reimbursements since they are paid by their subscribers uh, on a per capita basis and not fee for service. Um, so that's uh, basically all I have to say about the article, uh, but would welcome any other observations or comments. Alan, I have a comment. Okay, uh, Trustee Splendorio. Uh, was Kaiser previously not in Western Pennsylvania? Pardon me, I didn't catch what you said. Was Kaiser previously not in Western Pennsylvania? I don't think so. I think right. Kaiser in the East Bay in the East Coast is primarily in New Jersey and the Washington D.C. and Virginia area. I believe in Ohio, Ohio also. 
I believe in Ohio also. Okay, just curious. So it was an entree into what they feel is a either a good provider and also maybe a good area for them to be. Right. Any other comments or questions? I think I, I was thinking about how community health systems, even when they are successful, are needing the kind of capital outlay that you need for the shifts that are coming, value-based care for AI or other technology and things that are needing. And this kind of consolidation is um, uh, such a win-win for both. But uh, it will be interesting to see like what in these mergers, like what are some of the nuances of community-based care, like how will in the efficiencies of scale, like how some of that is maintained will be interesting to see. Right. Thank you. Any other comments? Okay, we'll move on. And Madam Chair, I would ask you a favor, just because I am not in the room. If you see anybody's hand up that I don't see, please shout out. So we give everybody a chance who wants to speak an opportunity. We'll move on then to item B2, the report of the Chief Financial Officer. Do you want me to have it up? I, well, I can get it, I mean, just one moment. I have it here, but I'm not logged into the meeting. So this is the March um, financial report. I'm starting with the uh, volume highlights. Um, we had a, a positive mix of services in March. Um, our patient days were up 12.4%, which is more than uh, the year-to-date variance of 10.5. Um, what makes this month um, particularly good for us is the discharges were actually ahead of budget by 2%. For the year, we're actually below budget 2.7. So when we have more discharges, that reduces the average length of stay. So we're at 6.2 compared to a year-to-date of 6.4. And for reference, last year we were 5.9. So length of stay has been a big challenge for us, driving up patient days, driving up costs, and of course we're not reimbursed um, inpatient rates for those additional days in most cases. Um, our CMI is up, and when our case mix index is up, that usually means more intense uh, patients or uh, needs or services. So that usually is an indicator that we would expect a higher length of stay, and that did not happen. So that is also good. That means we're managing patients 
better because we're talking about the population, not a single patient. Our emergency visits were also up almost 2%. That's uh, we're only 0.4 year to date. So more good news. Trauma cases were up 2.4% or six trauma cases do help us in net revenue. Our surgeries were up also very positive. Um, and outpatient uh, is driving that. So that's elective cases coming back. That's good news. People want to come here. And in the skilled nursing area, we have more good news. Our discharges were at um, budget. We, we were below budget 17.6% and 17.9% from prior years. So this has a lot to do with the COVID restrictions. Um, but worthy to note that if I counted the patients or the beds that are on hold for a patient, we actually would have had a census of 280.25, which would have been above budget for the skilled nursing. So that is great news because having um, our skilled nursing facilities restricted in their admits hurts our hospital. That backs the hospital up and is one of the key factors for driving up our length of stay. Um, so good news there. And when we have a Medi-Cal patient on a bed hold, that means we get paid. So that's very good also. Uh, in regard to clinic visits, we're below budget, but we are 2.7% above prior year. A lot of noise going on because of all of the vaccine visits in there. So um, uh, strong performance over prior year for sure. And if you look at physician work RVUs there, we're over budget 21.4% huge in the month. Um, a lot of this is driven by the inpatient days because physicians can still charge and be paid for their um, rounding on patients every single day, even though the hospital might not get paid because of the not meeting criteria. So, um, so anyway, very uh, strong results here, a, a positive mix of services. So this is the length of stay graph. Um, sadly, I'm gonna say, the yellow line is pretty flat. We, we saw it climbing, 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 but it seems like we have a new reality with length of stay. Um, and in March, our opportunity days were particularly high at 3,104. So even though overall our stats were good, um, we still had a lot of opportunity days. And again, opportunity days are those days that are in excess of the regulatory acuity models or our expected length of stay. John George was the opposite. Their opportunity days dropped substantially in March. So they had a, a, a good month there. And then here's our financial uh, results. Uh, our net income was a loss of 1.2 million, which is uh, 5.8 million negative variance. Um, for the year, we're actually right on budget for net income. And we're, we've been projecting that we would meet budget this fiscal year, despite a lot of ups and downs. Uh, looking at operating revenue, the story has been the same all year. Um, our revenue is strong, mostly due to the revenue cycle performance and the COVID relief money on supplementals. And our expenses are high, driven by the high length of stay and all those extra patient days and our labor rates are really much higher than we budgeted. <clears throat> so our next slide here is our revenue slide and uh, gross patient revenue is above budget by 11.7%. Uh, 
So again, March was a you know strong month for charges. Year to date, we're actually over 7.2%. And we're over in all areas of the hospital, or of our system rather, I should say. And our net collection ratio at 18.6% um, is consistent for the month and year. And it's above budget by 0.4. And you can see that in overall net patient revenue above budget, 8.5 million for the month and 49.6 million for the year. So, so good results there on net patient service revenue. On the next slide, I've got our uh, supplemental funding here. Um, for the month, the big variance was driven by Measure A. Uh, we held our budget flat. When we did the budget last year, we thought we might be going into a recession. And as a result, the tax revenue would stay flat. And we were wrong. Spending has continued and we see a 2 million positive variance in March and we're above budget 18.3 million for the year. So Measure A has really kicked in for us this year. Um, down at the bottom there on other operating revenue, um, most of this is driven by the retail pharmacy. It was positive 1.3 million in the month and 3.8 million for the year. Um, I wanted to point out something new, which is the Care Connect uh, agreement with the county. Um, it's $400,000, but it is a new relationship with the county. And I don't know if, um, if Mark, you want to say a few words about uh, Care Connect and what we're doing with the county? With the, the Community Connect. Um, Community Connect. I, I, we called it Care Connect in my presentation. Excuse yes, me. Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, Community Connect is actually a, um EPIC um, solution um, that allows us to extend our electronic medical record to other organizations outside of the health system. And um, we're actually in a good position with how we've implemented EPIC, where we're at Gold Stars Wise. I know we talked about some of that uh, previously. And so, we reached out to the county. Um, months uh, a few months ago now and are actually in the process of contracting with the county for their health care for the homeless to actually extend our EMR out to them and um, we're, we're actually really excited about that we're in the contracting phase right now on that particular portion of it and um, we're also working uh, we've extended an offer to St. Rose and we provided them uh, costing on that um, uh, component of it as well and we're in discussions right now with the county's behavioral health um, piece as uh, far as an extension there uh, and we're in very preliminary type discussions with Santa Rita Jail uh, in uh, this as well. I think the important thing that I get excited about, if I can expand on this just for a second, because it's that moment of passion for me, is if we were to able to do this, and I know it's a vision out there, a, way, a ways out, but if we were able to establish one EMR across the uh, Alameda Health System and Alameda County by extension, in that we would suddenly start to see these patients in an entirely new uh, light. So a patient that was potentially in a homeless encampment or incarcerated or at St. Rose or had mental health issues outside of John George, right now, if they show up in the, uh, in the uh, Highland uh, Emergency Department, we really have no insight into what's going on with them. And suddenly we have a connectedness so that a patient that was at St. Rose, if they showed up in our emergency department, we'd know what was had, happening with them at St. Rose. If they unfortunately later ended up incarcerated, came back in and uh, you know I would round up in our hospital I said periodically see people in from Santa Rita jail in there 
one of Dr. Dave, our ED doctor, of course, his passion is that, and he knows that he isn't able to do as good a service for those patients because he doesn't have any history Hello. on what's happening during the exam in the jail. So it's really tra starting to transform what we can do from a really starting to transform what we would be able to do from a care um, deployment because right now our patients really have to run around between all of these services to try to get integrated care. And oftentimes these are our most vulnerable patients, patients with mental health issues, patients that are in a homeless encampment, patients that are just coming out, you know, either into or out of the jail system. And so they're not in a good position to be able to do this. And if we had that um, wrapped around them, no matter where they went in this ecosystem, we'd be providing you know, equitable quality care to them. I hope that hit it, uh, Kim. But, uh, Thank you, Mark. <laughs> and you can tell I'm passionate about it if you have questions either now or later. I do have a quick question. Do you have timelines for implementation with St. Rose and with the jail? I mean, you said it's super preliminary. Then. Yeah, so great question. So the um, healthcare for the homeless, which would be our first site. So uh, I've, I've run Community Connect programs in my past lives. Um, you, oftentimes those are done as a, both an extension to community physicians and as a referral program. We're not looking at it in that way. We're really looking at this as a universal healthcare um, EMR across the, uh, across the organization. You know, Jeanette and myself, obviously James and others have been talking about this and some of the strategy around it. But um, so, so I have experience with those. The um, healthcare for the homeless is a great pilot for us, honestly. And we're expecting we'd be live in the September, October timeframe on that, which is pretty quick. But it's also a very small uh, entity and is really a great extension of what we're already doing and, and the collaborative work we do with like our homeless fan and other things like that. So it's a fairly easy clinic sort of concept for us. The um, St. Rose, if we were to take on an entire hospital, is loosely, and you can't hold me to this uh, trusty esteem, but that loosely a year long uh, implementation if we were to do that. Uh, the probably the one that I know the least about right now would be the behavioral health with the county because that's that's we've started some preliminary discussions with them and honestly it's a fairly complicated uh, model that we would want to pursue with them and so there's a lot more discussion we need to do in that space. Okay. Hey, May I? May I just? This is a cancellation message for the code blue acute care tower ninth floor room nine nine two eight. This is a cancellation message for the code blue acute care tower ninth floor so what I want to share is that Mark and the team have done a really nice job of packaging, for example, for St. Rose, what this would take and the dollar figures. And we provided that information to them. We met with um, Lex Ready, the CEO and his team this morning. <clears throat> and while very appreciative, Mr. Reddy is very clear that they're not in a position to, to do this on their own. And so they're seeking funding from other organizations to help underwrite the cost of Community Connect. And so I believe Mr. Reddy said his plan is to go to the county, to Kaiser, and to other organizations, but certainly those are the two that he was talking about, to seek a funding um, mechanism by which this could be partially, if not completely, underwritten for St. Rose. And so, you know, to the point of timeline, I think really they need to identify their funding and then that year that Mark talked about, the clock would start ticking, but right yeah. now they've got to identify the, the resources. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trustee Esteen, it's not a year from today, so. I agree. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the time. Yeah. Yes. And thank you, because we've been talking about like interoperability for so long now to see like, how can we have a more integrated system? So in so many ways, this is, and starting with a pilot and doing 
understand that it's a different cost for different things. So like the fiscal benefit for sharing is of course secondary, but very important, but just in terms of like how much it will improve the way we serve and see our patients uh, is really exciting. So I'm, you know, the board probably will be as excited as you are about this, Mark, about the possibilities of this. Well, I could wax on for hours about it, but I'm pretty happy <laughs> about it. You can. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you for your waxing, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So moving on here to the expenses. Um, there's really just three items I'll talk about. The labor on the next slide. Um, purchase services. It's, uh, it looks like it's not that unfavorable, but when you adjust for the year-on fees, um, which are running below budget, uh, we would actually be quite a bit higher than budget. Um, so year-to-date, we'd end up being $3.3 million. And these variances have been the same all year. It's, um, you know, HIM coding services, you know, for all those patient days, we got security, we've got COVID related activities, clinical services and outside medical services. So uh, it's, it's been pretty consistent. Materials and supplies, we've been over all year also. And again, that's being driven mostly by patient days. You know, as I said, we're 12.4% over in the month and 10.5 year to date. And it just costs more for every head in the bed, you know, pharmaceuticals, medical supplies, non-medical supplies, surgical supplies, lab reagents, food, all of that. Your next slide. to the ER, level two, ETA, three minutes. Traumathene to the ER, level two, ETA, three minutes. So labor costs, again, it's the, the same story. Um, starting with registry, since that's the largest variance, it's 7.4 million in the month. Um, when you look at that, that's higher than our run rate. So it's going the wrong way. So that's not a good thing. Um, for the month, we were over in volume, meaning more FTE, 4.3 million. And the rate is over 3.1 million in one month because the registry rates are really that high. We had assumed when we did the budget that COVID would be winding down and the need for registry would go down and the rates would go down because there is a supply and demand equation and we missed it. We just missed it. Can I ask a quick question? Sure. Uh, um, do we still do like the 13 week contracts and things are we are being more flexible about those? Flexible. We're the, more flexible. And our rates, we've negotiated lower rates now as well. Okay. So we should start seeing that. And um, uh, Mark and, and the nursing team are watching it, watching it closely. So I'm hoping that we will start to see some, some uh, um, less uh, significant budget variances here. Um, year to date, the volume variance, because we're using more than we had planned in registry, is 30.3 million. And we're paying 24.2 million higher in rates year to date. So it's very significant. For our own staff, we're actually using fewer staff. So we actually have a positive volume variance, but everything is being driven by rate. And this has to do with the fact that um, when we were building the budget last year, um, there were a lot of adjustments being made for equity. Like when you hire somebody new on, you have to make it fair for people that are already working in these positions. And so a lot of the, those didn't get picked up in the budget. Um, we're also still paying a lot of overtime 
And there's all of these extra shift, like for COVID shift pay that we did. And there's some hiring and retention bonuses that we, and some settlements that we needed to do. So um, lots of, of rate variances this year. Hopefully it's more of a stabilizing year and we won't have these big variances next year. Um, also benefits were high this month and it's really all about the timing of FICA because this is a new calendar year and we budgeted flat throughout the whole year. Um, the real driver in this is the health plans. It's 800,000 in this month, March, but year to date, our um, health plan costs are over 5 million. So in, during the COVID period, nobody was going to the doctor. We were, our costs were really down. And this year, for whatever reason, they've really uh, sprung up ahead of uh, budget. And also workers' comp. We've had a lot of workers' comp issues. We're over 1.3 million year to date. Okay, so here's my FTE trend graph that we look at um, uh, periodically. I have two different ones I share with you. This is the one I did this month. This month, I've done it by quarters, so it's not so big. It used to go all the way off the slide. Um, but I think that this slide is very important. Um, if you look at pre-EPIC, we were operating at about 4,400 FTE, and our adjusted patient days were um, around 80,000. Um, yes, we saw the FTE go down when we implemented EPIC because though that staff was capitalized to implement EPIC. And then in FY20Q2, when the volumes drop, you can see the bars going down. That was COVID, right? So um, we saw a lot less volume, but we were paying um, COVID leave benefits, which increased our paid FTEs. So you see a big jump in the paid FTEs during the COVID period because of that leave. And then you look from then and you can see that our FTEs have grown um, our actuals at 48.90, our budget was at 47.19. But if you look at our adjusted patient days, they're really just about back where we were pre-COVID. So what this means is we do have some budget creep and this is gonna come back in our budget presentation later. So the next slide go, moves on to the balance sheet. And uh, just a few things I'll talk about here. Uh, I have an AR slide, which I'll talk about AR. There's really not a lot of change from month to month on the days. Um, on the due to uh, third party and due to county, um, there are some pretty big changes over month over month. That is uh, driven by the GPP, the waiver program. We, the county did an IGT for us. That's an intergovernment transfer so that we could pull down the federal share. And so that is driving the receivable up from third parties. And it's also in creating the payable because we have to pay the county back for the IGT that they fronted for us. Um, finally, the net negative balance is at 34.3, well within our NNB, but it has been going up. We were at a AR, a positive balance in FY22. Here's the uh, graph for accounts receivable. Um, for HB, it's pretty consistent with prior month. We went up and then came down. For PB, we actually uh, gained uh, and reduced our AR a bit. 
Um, worthy to note is both HB and PB had decent months for collection, not a high mark, but decent months. And there's a lot of comments here on all the things that we're working on. One I'll comment on, which is the Pararev. We're down to 42 million. That was up to about 110 million. And as I've reported, we were very concerned about having to have to write all that off because uh, when we went live with this vendor, we didn't have all of the interfaces set up with them or the workflow processes to um, post the transactions into Epic. And so we, it, it really hurt us in, in trying to uh, make sure and manage these, um, these AR accounts. Uh, the good news is we have uh, put a lot of attention to this. We're down to 42 million and we're working it. So that's uh, more than, you know, it's like a 60 million reduction. Here's the patient collections. We're 11.5% ahead of last year, which is great news. And the current month, March, is a good month at 65.3. There's some other months that are a little higher, but overall, that is, that's a good month for us for collections. Here is the forecast of the NNB. Um, off the top, there's very little change to this. It's like, you know, probably $5 million total. So there's nothing really from between this month and last month. Uh, a couple comments. Our responsibility is to have the line of credit below 110 million on June 30, 23. You can see that we're planning to be around zero. So that's good news. Next year, however, the max is 105. It goes down 5 million each year and will be around 40 million. So that's good news. But if you look at January, we're getting very close to the top of our NNB line which means we really have to manage this because we can't draw above that. So um, timing the capital and also our budget. You know, we need to make sure that our, but we manage our budget so that we do not um, exceed the NNB. Kim, oh, Chair, can I ask her a question? <coughs> what, what does that look like when you say for that one month you, you have to manage your budget? I mean, like, if it's supply, you know, how, how do you move things around? Yeah, so when we do our budget, um, we do it month by month. And so we can see how much cash flow is coming in. So we, we can make sure that we manage things, buy things, manage things, so that we don't go above that line. Sometimes we have to hold payments to vendors. We've had to do that in the past. Um, I'm not, until we get that budget done, I'm not trying to cause a red flag. All I'm telling everyone is that right now, even without a budget done, we're getting close. So we have to make sure that we don't go above that energy. Thank you. And then this is the table of material items that are included in the forecast I just showed you. Um, the only thing that's changed from last month to this month is the fact that we received money that was in April early in March. So that's it. So there was the 14.6 for EPP and QIP and those are no longer in April because we received it in March, but that's it. It didn't change the, the forecast at all. Also, I just wanna point out because uh, I know trustees are very interested and that is our year-to-date capital spend is 13.2 million. That is through March 31st. We had a budget of 30 million by June. So we are running under in capital and that continues. That is my report. Happy to take any other questions.
Any questions for the CFO? All right, thank you. And we'll look forward to hearing part two when we talk about the budget planning. Next up is item B3, uh, Chief Operating Officer's report. Uh, it's going to be on Alameda Hospital operations. Uh, Mr. Harding will be presenting that one, I believe. Uh, Mr. Fratsky, do you have any opening comments? I, I have none other than to introduce our CAO of the community hospitals, Mario Harding, who is here to provide an update on Alameda Hospital. So Mario, I'll turn it over to you. Thanks, Mark. Good evening, trustees. Um, let me preface my, uh, uh, I will definitely keep my presentation within the 25 minutes, if not shorter. Um, in your packet, um, we I in, did a little a faux pas last Friday, just um, 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 inadvertently um, submitted another report, which is still relevant. Um, but I will present today a, a presentation focused on Alameda, um, and you will get a copy of this report as, um, report as well. So I'm going to share my um, screen. And let me know when you see, let's see here. Hold on just one moment. Uh, let's see. Okay, can you see my screen? Hopefully you can. All right. It's, it's a little small. Can you go to presentation mode perhaps? And Okay, let's see here. Let me see if I can switch. I, I think that's fine. I think that's fine. It looks good now. Does it look better? Okay, good. Thank you. All right, so so yeah, I'm going to give you an update on Alameda Hospital. Uh, again, I'm going to um, run through many of this uh, as, as quickly as I can to give you time back. Um, I start all presentations I'm doing um, um, with, with our strategic pillars. Um, the first up is just to talk about the financials. And I, go, I won't go into details because Kim covered the details across the system um, pretty well. What I try to do is extract out what's applicable to Alameda Hospital. So one of the, so the, um, I wanted to share with you, and we've talked about this in the um, previously, but um, this is the monthly operating report um, that we, uh, so we meet um, monthly um, for two and a half hours. Um, um, a, a fair amount of time is devoted to financials. And so I just wanted you to share with you, this is the report that we, um, that our department leaders at Alameda Hospital see and system as well. Um, so you can see the details behind um, essentially Kim's financial report. So we take this report, the financial, the variance, um, the leaders are asked to um, identify variable, variables, negative variances, and really speak to those and um, provide opportunities to um, check in and see what, you know, what transpired during that month and also look for um, ways to you know, manage uh, expenses. Uh, what I'll just share in here, as you can see at the top, our ED visits are up about, um, I think it's about 17, excuse me, close to 17% compared to budget. Um, so I'd highlight that. Um, our OR cases are down still. And remember the, the sterile, we're running about, we're running close to two rooms a day at, at um, Alameda. Our sterile processing um, is still being sourced out to, um, to Highland. 
Um, and um, keep in mind also that the pain procedure program uh, relocated over to San Leandro Hospital. That was in April of last year. Um, and, uh, but, but again, I won't go through all of the, the details here, but, but again, you can see the, 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 um, how we delineate item by item here and looking at overtime labor costs. And again, all of this flows right into the report, um, that Kim's, um, Kim shared with you and our labor costs are, are, you know, definitely when you look at year to date, um, over by, um, close to about 14, 14 million. Um, and um, adding both the labor and non-labor up, uh, we're close to 19 million, um, oh, unfavorable to budget, if you will. Um, so, um, but yeah, I just wanted to make sure you get a glimpse of this is this is what we um, what we review um, from a leadership standpoint, just to to dive into our expenses. Um, this is the entity report, which you have in your packet with um, from Kim as well. I just love this report because it breaks down by entity, uh, really helps us um, see how each hospital um, and entity um, functions uh, financially under um, under AHS. And you can see our um, contribution margin for Alameda um, for a uh, year to date through March is close to 10.3 million, again, negative. Um, and then the net income, which is the next um, here, you see um, close to 24 million. Hopefully, um, Kim can keep me honest and check. Um, but twenty-four or five million dollars, just in terms of where things are, so pretty, pretty substantial um, um, when you look at the um, expenses um, to operating income. Um, uh, you've seen the slide um, previous. Kim went through a version of it. This is just Alameda as it relates to length of stay opportunity, and um, you see the significant gap there um, year over year from. March 22 compared to March 23. So um, so it's, you know, it's spot on to what she shared about um, managing our length of stay um, can certainly uh, result in um, fewer expenses on our end. Can I ask a question? Uh, yes. If you don't mind, this is, this is really probably more a question for the C-suite folks, but when we look at the um, uh, operating margins by entity, uh, I think uh, most of the entities are in a lost position. Is there a strategic uh, um, uh, goal that, that we try to have each entity move to at least a break-even contribution down the road? So Alan, as a safety net, um, this organization has never had a positive contribution margin. So measure A, um, you know, was provided by the voters to, to help us. Um, there's also a few other on the slide that you can see there, uh, QIP and GPP, which are, you know, earned by the whole system. It's um, supplemental funding for public hospitals because, you know, of our high Medi-Cal. Um, population, which does not pay its costs, the reimbursement we get directly um, from the plans. So these, the, the supplementals um, supplement the Medi-Cal for us, and then the Measure A is, um, is helping us cover the gap. And what you can, you can see here in the slide is it pretty much brings us to a $30 million or $34 million um, net income which 
uh, or cash flow, which is what we need for capital. And that has been the story most years going back to the you know beginning of our um, existence. So although it's it's uh, it's important to 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 look at that contribution margin because if if we're not covering our costs, what what people might consider that is every time we see a patient, we lose money. And that's not that's not incorrect, but we have this supplemental funding that is supposed to allow us to be successful in our mission. And some of the QIP comes from the ambulatory? Well, so that is true currently because um, the, the, the funding was dish and it's evolved over time. Um, but the current um, the current waivers in play are about trying to get us to value based and to try to provide um, care in the primary care setting and not in the emergency room. And so that's how the funds are, are currently through QIP coming to us. But the reality is it can change all the time and the funds were really meant for the entire system. So that's why it's not allocated there. We were talking about just allocating it the same way we do measure A, um, just based on expenses, because we don't want our operators to be focusing on an allocation of funds, either from taxes, QIP or GPP um, to fund their operation. We want them to try to be as efficient as possible and try to um, improve their contribution margin and not focus on things that are out of our control. Is that fair? That is fair. And I know that in the past uh, finance committee meeting, we talked about San Leandro Hospital a little bit to see like what it is that they are doing that is allowing this to be whether it's length of stray and then looking at whether that reducing that causes like 30 day an increase in the readmission and even all of those are being managed. So some lessons from those I hope, you know, that you all are learning in the MOR is will be shared with the board too. Like what is this that's yeah. happening there? I think part of uh, the success that San Leandro has been a shorter length of stay, their positions there really manage it tightly. I and you know all of our positions do, but they in particular um, seem to have a real focus on length of stay, um, as well as recidivism rates are lowest at San Leandro. So I think there's a couple of conditions there that are really helping San Leandro's financials. And I mean, those are the learnings. You know, how do we take that and and try to make it better at the other entities? And San Leandro also was fortunate to have inpatient rehabilitation, which is a highly right. profitable yeah. service. Thank you, Trustee Fox. That's the other dynamic. Okay, well, I was just wondering if in uh, uh, a location like Alameda, there is a uh, an effort to try to, to move toward break-even, let's say, even though it might not be uh, possible because of payer mix to ever really get there. Trustee Fox, this is Mark. I, I agree with you. I think... I think we should always be trying to move toward a, you know, just uh, covering the direct costs by way of having just a flat contribution margin. I, I don't disagree with that. And that's our challenge and our goals. Okay, thank you. Okay, Mr. Harding. Okay. Oh, just one last comment on that. The entity financials, the reason why we did this is so that we could understand where we're making money, where we're not making money, and really hone in on how we can improve performance. 
which I think, you know, uh, Mark Gretzky and his Moors, they, they are looking at that every single month. And I think that's made a big difference for this organization. Partly what the MOR is for, right? Yeah. Yep. I, I, that's exactly right. And, um, okay. All right. So I'll, I'll go to um, the next um, section here, just under sustainability, just um, infrastructure update as it relates to Alameda uh, Hospital. So I'll share with you, um, I last month I presented um, this, this report. Um, I engaged uh, Smith King Architect Tech, texture, excuse me, interface engineering to do a, I guess I call it a physical assessment plan um, with our heating back, heating HVAC system, heating ventilation, air conditioning, uh, focus around our boiler chillers and humidification. Again, I'm not going to, I'm not sharing anything you don't know. The hospital itself, Alameda, um, there, it, it is challenging from a physical plant standpoint, given the age of the hospital. Um, we have, um, you know, at various times just have had issues with uh, maintaining control of the temperature and humidity within the ORs. Um, you know, these, the systems there are, are, are old. Um, so I, I'm, so Smith came, came, came back with a, a final report last month um, and some recommendations. So we asked them to uh, hone in on what is a priority that needs to be replaced. Um, because again, alongside, there's still a parallel work happening as it relates to the seismic um, uh, upgrade that needs to happen by 2030. So I'll just share with you, I'll go through this and again, trying to be uh, quick here, but uh, their report basically said everything needs to be replaced. Um, um, to, to be honest, if you, I mean, to look at the report itself. So, but these are just, again, pictures of the, this is the stuff that you don't see unless you go down to the bowels of the organization, um, the chillers and um, the, the boilers and humidifiers. These are things that keep the hospital, um, you know, from a, a temperature perspective, cool, uh, warm, those sort of things. And it impacts, of course, not just, um, you know, patient care from equipment, things that have to, have to maintain certain temperatures. So um, with that said, um, the final report um, recommendation um, from um, Smith King and Interface Engineering, Structural Engineer, was that we prioritize replacing um, the chillers, um, humidifier, and the boilers, um, which, uh, which constitutes uh, about $10.5 million of, of capital um, infrastructure um, changes. And, um, and, and so um, I'll just share, you know, this is, this is, um, this is uh, Mark uh, and James are both aware of this and, and um, we've been, you know, we'll be working with the healthcare district board um, as well, um, because again, we know there's not 10 and a half million dollars sitting around um, that I'm aware of. Uh, but, but again, from the standpoint of, of um, the need to uh, thoughtfully think about how do we how do we do this um, given the state of the hospital? Um, so you, I'm sure you'll hear more about this as well um, in the board retreat uh, or next week's board meeting. And then we also will discuss this at our next, um, uh, we, you know, our, our monthly joint planning committee um, between the healthcare district um, and um, AHS as it relates to, um, again, all the work around what, you know, the seismic uh, evaluation. But I just wanted to make sure I bring this and share this 
with the finance committee. So you are aware of this, but again, it has been shared with the um, healthcare district board. So I will keep moving along. Um, I'll spend a little bit of time here, quality care, but um, again, just, I know this, um, you've seen the True North metric dashboard. This is through February, um, at least through the um, quality committee through the board as well. Uh, again, this one's specific to Alameda. Uh, again, another, we focus as a part of our monthly operating and the more meeting we spend time on quality care. Um, and um, here's just a picture of kind of where things look like for, um, for Alameda. Uh, one of the things that we are starting to do, and it's just not on, on here, but, um, but um, um, the action planning, we, um, we have specifics um, that we uh, are starting to incorporate into our more meeting and, and otherwise assign what we're gonna do in terms of taking action and identify um, um, leaders to help uh, move and change any of the items that that you know tend to be in red. Um, I know you'll just notice here, I know I'll have to get back with quality. The, the C difficile is zero over zero and shows red that really should be green again for the month of February. But, um, but I just, again, wanted to share this with you. So again, you have some idea of um, the efforts around quality. And for example, like in the emergency department, likely to recommend, there's been some work by Joe Lotzko, um, the ED manager, Dr. Joshi as well. I mean, one of the things, I mean, we're um, certainly, you know, part of that is, is um, we've been trying to spruce up in, in, in the department itself, just refresh the ED. It just, um, it's been recently been painted. Um, we've ordered some new furniture um, uh, for the lobby, just to, again, to give it a better feel um, as well. But we do, every week we get um, reports or comments, if you will, from patients. Um, and we focus around things that we need to improve. So that gets disseminated um, across the board as well. So I just wanted to share that with you. Um, and then I'll go to staff and physician. We just, you know, we finished our, um, was it last month? We finished our culture safety survey. Again, um, Alameda finished at, I mean, we had a 90% participation rate. Um, you know, so you can see, you've seen, I think you may have seen this before. San Leandro finished at 97%. Our 90% was actually just a bit lower than where we were last year. We were at 94, uh, but still a great rate um, participation rate. So like everything with this across the board, it is absolutely um, critical that we uh, act upon the feedback that was given to us by staff. Um, so that's, that's the next phase of this. Um, and then just an idea of some of the areas that responded 100%. Um, the last, um, I wanna go into community connection. So again, I think as a part of my role, um, know that I'm visible out in the community Alameda. So I will share with you two events. So um, I was able to participate in the, the hospital foundation um, had their 5K, 10K walk run. And I was definitely walking, not running for sure. Um, <laughs> this was a, um, this was, um, this was the first time they've done this probably I think two or three years since the, since the pandemic. Uh, but it was a great, a great turnout. Um, and um, so, so again, um, that was great to see that. Um, yesterday I had the opportunity to to present a hospital update to the Rotary Club of Alameda. Um, Louise Nakata and I were um, 
uh, just again, probably about 15, 20 participants there. But uh, again, it's just another opportunity for us to get out and share what's happening at Alameda Hospital. And, and again, you get the questions of people still um, don't know much about the hospital. Um, and some of the, you know, I was able to at least share the services that we have, um, you know, um, in addition to, you know, uh, folks were asking what kind of outpatient you know, programs that we have, which um, they didn't realize that Marina Wellness is attached to Alameda Hospital. Um, uh, you know, so so there's just, I walked away, there's an opportunity for us to be more visible and to make sure that the, the, um, the folks in Alameda um, know what services we, we provide, um, not just, of course, the ED. And um, and then upcoming next, I think I think close to the end of the month, I'll do another update. Um, I also sit on the Alameda Chamber of Commerce board, so they do a monthly Good Morning Alameda. So um, I'll have the opportunity to um, again just share with them what's going on at the hospital. Um, just again another opportunity to meet leaders and business leaders in the community and under um, help them know what what we're doing um, in the community. And um, quickly, just these are some things I highlighted. Um, I won't go through all of these. Um, you know, uh, I'll just say aware of our, our um, triennial survey, our stroke certification, all of those were successful. We remodeled the physician lounge, um, which is in the admin West building that uh, finished in March of this year. I talked about the HVAC uh, structure um, assessment there. Um, the South Shore, you'll See, uh, the South Shore Skilled Nursing Facility, which sits next door to the hospital, uh, again, under some major repairs, um, hope to be finished with that project by the end of September. Um, and again, I mentioned our joint meeting that's coming up on the 18th um, as it relates to the seismic compliance. Uh, and these are just things that I, I, I share with you that I'm um, thinking or at least have some idea of what what we need to do next as it relates to, um, again, I'm as a health system, just trying to make sure that the programs we have at Alameda are in line and sync strategically, but also that we're not sort of cannibalizing ourselves with the other hospitals. I think there's more due diligence that needs to be done as it relates to programs, whether it's surgeries, um, what have you um, for each each of the hospitals. And, and that's a deeper dive I think we need to, to um, embark upon. Um, and let's see the last, I think that is actually the last slide I have. I said, I wanted to keep it tight. Um, these are just pictures I found, um, just the history of, of the hospital itself. Um, the lady in the middle is Kate Creedon, um, which is where the, the Creedon wound care center is named after. Um, but, but again, I came up on these, um, 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 pictures here just, to, again, reflect upon, the, the hospital itself. So that is my presentation. Um, and uh, I'm happy to take any additional questions that you may have at this time. Thank you, uh, Mr. Harding. I wanted to also just let um, folks know that Trustee Sion and I were on a site visit on Monday at Alameda Hospital and just that, you know, our gratitude to the incredibly dedicated staff that were there, we got to meet some. And also like uh, on the quality pillar, as you looked at the, um, it, 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 the their true not dashboard by facility seems to be a little bit more detailed than the 
a true north metric for that, but I think what we came away was just how important it is to have both administrative and clinical uh, that, that, that we need an ACMO desperately over there. Even if it's an interim, we need one. We need one so that the quality goals and the roadmap that we have that we've already put in our strategic plan is so that would be uh, just as remember as we walked that was a recurring thing that each one individually is doing really well but having an infrastructure and a map and a strategy around all the you know meeting our, our their own set goals needs to have that quality clinical leadership in inside, I wish, I hope we get an ACMO or an interim very soon. Any other questions for Mr. Harding? Thank you very much for that report and everything you're doing uh, for Alameda and AHS, Mr. Harding. You're welcome. Thank you. Alan, can I just add one thing? You bet. I want to commend Mr. Harding for doing the community outreach that you're doing. I, I think that's... Um, vitally important and uh, I encourage other members of the executive team to do the same. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, okay, uh, next section, uh, section C1 and 2, discussion items. Uh, we're gonna hear about uh, the budget update and we are now one meeting away from considering and approving the 2023-2024 budget for the next operating year. Um, so uh, I, for one, am very uh, interested in uh, hearing where the administration is on preparing the budget and also where we are in the bridge plan. So Kim Miranda, you have the floor. All right, thank you, Trustee Fox. I am here with Grace Messina. We're going to present this together. Grace has um, presented to you all um, many times in the past. She uh, is over our um, financial planning and budgeting department. So uh, we will uh, uh, go ahead and kick this off. Um, we're giving you an update. So what everyone needs to remember is this is a preliminary budget. We are not done. We still have another month. We still plan to be able to bring it to you the first Wednesday in January for a board approval in the second week of, I'm sorry, I said January. <laughs> wow. Yeah, <laughs> How about June <laughs> for a July one start? And, you know, if we had to, um, we could, you know, um, uh, have special meetings, but we're, we're not wanting to go there. Okay. So um, today um, we're just going to, um, kind of show you where we are on in this uh, on this evolution to a budget talk about next steps um, we did add some additional slides that were not posted last Friday and I'll point out those ones there's a financial statement and a next step slide and then there's an appendix which we may or not even talk about but I wanted that information available in case we need it so just as a reminder these are our guiding principles uh, I'm only going to talk a couple of them because these were approved by finance committee some time ago. So what we agreed to was run rate budgeting. We weren't going to add a bunch of new stuff. Uh, we were basically just going to say history repeats itself. We as an organization have a budget oversight committee that can approve things 
or take things away or create new programs or do whatever they need to do all during the year. And I also wanted to point out that we were um, told or this group advised that we needed to have enough cash flow. We used the word EBITDA in this slide. We'll need to change it to cash flow because of the GASB changes. It used to be easy. We could just say EBITDA was cash, but now we can't do that with the new GASB for leases. Um, but we needed to have enough cash flow to cover our capital expenditures. We were not going to go into debt. And now circling back to my finance presentation, I told you we we're up near that NNB in January. So we don't have any room to increase our debt. So this is the financial statement. This is the new one. The um, numbers in the slide did not change, but we now added this financial statement. And what you can see here is that um, our revenues have gone up. I can move you guys out of here so I can see it. Um, 5%. Uh, so that's a pretty you know, decent uh, net um, income number. But our operating expenses have gone up 9%. So we have a gap, right? And if you um, look at net income there, that gap looks substantial, 63.5 million. So that might cause red flags and alerts. But remember, this is a preliminary budget and we have already come up with bridge plans or improvements of 31.2 million, which we are prepared to walk you through tonight to give you some comfort that they're achievable, okay? I know last time we had we were pretty aggressive with some of our registry and length of stay targets, but we're going at this a little bit differently this year. So we'll, we'll walk you through that. So after the bridge plans, um, we still have a gap because our preliminary cash flow is 8.5 million. And normally we need 30 million to pay for capital, right? So we have a shortfall even after the identified performance improvement items to get to where we need to be. And I've got a next step slide that I think is going to close some of that. So remember, this is a work in process. So um, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, let, um, let Grace talk about this. So this is our preliminary budget recap um, of the manager review. So what we did is we came up with a preliminary budget. The BOC had advised, the Budget Oversight Committee has advised us on, um, you know, what our guiding principles are and our, um, our guardrails, budget assumptions, budget assumptions uh, with our COLAs and, and, um, and our run rates. And then we set this budget out to the managers and they were able to review it and put, provide their input on it. There were some guardrails on that as well, but these are the adjustments that they had made to the um, preliminary budget. So that ended up to be um, $5.9 million in adjustments and for cash flow, it's $11.9 million. So with the lease and the gas retirement, that's the difference between the net income and the cash flow. So with, as we um, said earlier, with the bridge plan, we are looking at net income of negative $23 million and the cash flow at $8.5 million positive. That would be the available cash to spend for capital next year. Our historical average is about $30 million. 
as you know, we're running a little bit lower this fiscal year. We're at $13 million to date. So on top of what was in the budget, we have items that were put in a request list that is not currently in the budget. So these are just, you know, some items that were above the run rate and was not considered, um, was not put into the budget, but we would like this to be considered during the year uh, to be prioritized and see what we can afford during the year and put it in as we go. And just another comment, this list is moving. You know, we're not done. There's, I mean, this is everything we knew about, but there's gonna be things that come on, things that go off. Um, so it's not something we're gonna go through every one of these because it's just, it's a moving target. But this is what we know of right now that's not in the budget and that um, we'll need to, you know, budget oversight to help us as we figure out what goes in and how we, we either include or don't include and how we deal with this during the year. Question on this list. Do some of these items sometimes, uh, uh, can they be recommended as items for the foundation to fund? And I'm thinking of that third item there, like RN grad training programs. Preston's here. I'm sure that he'd be willing to entertain all asks. <laughs> Chair Fox, I'm off screen, but I would say yes. I think we, we welcome a robust conversation with leadership to identify the right priorities that philanthropy would have an interest in alignment and funding, and that also align with the strategic plan and direction. So yes, there are quite possibly some items on this list, like item three, that we should talk further about. Okay, thank you. question how many of those items are one time and how many of those items are standard? well uh, most of these are not in the run rate so that means they're all new or add-ons for the most part like we have a new grad program now that's built in but this is like an additional thing so most of the stuff here and the reason why it's on this list and wasn't put in is because of that guiding principle of run rate that answer the question? Does that mean that year over year this will potentially show up in the budget? Well, these would be new items that we would need to decide to add in. I think at a later time, like some of the, because you do run rate and we are with this new strategic plan, we are thinking about like a lot of the community-based and new things like we'll at a future, one of your iterations, we'd like to understand how you all used the guardrails or, 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 you know, what, how that was used to see like which programs, if there are new ones, if there are ones that we have an obligation to like healthcare for the homeless or our ambulatory that align with CalAIM or any of those external accountability, how you all are making that decision about, uh, you know, patient centeredness in that sense. So like not for today, because this is giving us a really great high level, but We'll be asking those questions. Thank you for that. And we've been thinking about it, actually. We've been talking with the team. You know, there's been a lot of advances, you know, in HETI and in, in a lot of areas um, within our organization, just just um, organically, and that's probably not the right word, but but our, our, our employees, you know, every day are contributing and doing a lot of things with the resources that they have. 
And we did, uh, Grace and I did send out a notice, you know, ex expecting you to ask that question. And we got back a great response. In fact, we're going to have some more meetings and talk about this. So, um, so although, you know, this is high level run rate, there's all kinds of activities going on. And we don't have exactly the same people last year that we have this year. And, you know, things move around and evolve. So um, uh, I, we will be happy to bring back more on that. Thank you. So the next item is our bridge plan. It totals up to $31.1 million, as you saw in earlier slides. Um, these are um, in, in, in different areas of the organization. So this is the revenue cycle area of the bridge plan. We do have some third-party settlements out there. We are estimating um, $6.6 .6 million um, for, that, um, for some third-party settlements to come through um, in the next fiscal year. So that would be like a one-time item. There's also one of the items that we are currently working on is the billing of observation hours. That's number five on the list down. Um, you know, we are currently in the process of educating physicians uh, to write appropriate orders. We have consultants in, um, you know, to, to help us with that. And currently we're not getting paid for our one day stays, one to three day, one day, Medicare one day stays. And if we bill it as observation, we'll be able to, to do that. And that's pretty easy. How many days is that we're not getting billed for? Or we're not billing? This, it's all, it's for Medicare. They pay observation and that's about 20% of our fare mix. So it's quite a bit. And you can see our estimate there, which I think is conservative. Um, this is something we've been working on for some time. We've been trying to get traction. Um, uh, Dr. Tornameni and Dr. Verano um, have, have really stepped up on this and we've got consultants engaged. Um, I think I myself am going to go to the UN meetings. I'm really excited about what's happening here. This is, uh, it's, it's definitely a financial issue, but it's way more than a financial issue. It's a compliance issue. It's also impacting all of our transfers, because if you don't have somebody in the right status when you transfer them, the whole bill gets messed up. So we, this is, a, this is, a, this is some, something that, uh, you know, we've been uh, thinking about for a long time and you know, my, my hand goes out to Dr. Tornabetti because she's taking it on. So it's, it's a, I think it's something very doable and we will way surpass this amount of money. This is for the ambulatory. Um, so we actually have newly recruited physicians um, for the ambulatory um, um, and we and actually physicians in general. And um, we are having them ramp up to the 40th media so we're adding in we have added in the expenses oh have the expenses this is the revenue this is so the revenue that is uh, to be generated to the 40th percentile timed so it's actually at the timing we're not expecting them to have a full year at 40th percentile we're giving them time to ramp up so is yeah. the volume there i mean it, it looks like what you're saying is you're gonna basically uh improve physician productivity by having them see more patients, but are the patients there to be seen? So yes. we, yeah, for especially for um, primary care, for sure, we have a huge backlog. We have a lot of backlogs in other specialties. I don't know if we've ever brought that report to finance committee, but I, it's, it's QPSC that reports like next available. Um, yeah, the specialty as well as like, like the private. <laughs> And is this something that has to be negotiated? Um, 
So we don't we don't have any any um, stick per se, Trustee Fox. But what we're basically saying, which I think is a reasonable assumption, is that if we hired all these doctors within 12 months, they should get to the 40th percentile. Um, and if we didn't get it from these doctors, we could get it from other doctors. And you can see there's lots of, um, um, we excluded ER and hospitals because those are hospital-based and don't control their, their um, volumes. But there's lots of different ways to do this. Um, We've got a second item there on improving access at the ambulatory clinics. And this one doesn't even talk about um, physician productivity so much. If, although we could get 2.5 FTE equivalent of physicians if they increase from 32 to 36 hours of clinical work. But again, that's not in a contract, but there's other things we could do. So um, this is, you know, again, this is a work in process. This is a, like a list of items. Uh, other items there are fixing our scheduling. We have all kinds of no-shows. Should we be backfilling? There's all kinds of ideas that ambulatory have. And I don't know which one of these are going to pan out to get the million dollars that we've put in. But our ambulatory team, we've talked to them, have agreed that this is doable. That we, this is a reasonable assumption that we could improve. And the 40th percentile should be? A very reasonable goal. Yes. So there are a few items that we have for operations. Um, one of the biggest items we have here is um, the OR utilization. It's just increasing OR utilization and um, in our hospitals um, on all food sites. And this is also something that's been in play for a while. And again, we've got our champions there and, you know, all of these have gone through our champions to make sure that they, they have bought into these and believe that we can achieve them. We also have our, like our implants, um, which currently we're not um, able to bill for them because there was some um, issues with the, uh, attaching the invoice to the, um, the patients. And so we're not able to get reimbursed for the implants at this point. And that should cause everybody concern. It's like, why is it that we can't do this? But when we went live with Epic, we did not do create any link with our purchasing system. So when uh, implant gets ordered, it doesn't go on the bill. So, and you have to produce um, a copy of that invoice to get paid. And we didn't have any <coughs> system to do that. So what we did here is we said, sure, we got to work with IT. We got work to do to set up Epic to improve things. But why can't we just go after the 80-20? What about those 20% that are the most expensive implants? Why can't we put that on a spreadsheet, go get the invoice and submit it? And the team has agreed to do that. So I think this is something that is very doable. I think it's just a matter of getting everybody together going, we are going to do that. We're not going to try to boil the ocean, but we are going to make sure that those high dollar costs Get built. How long will it take for Marcani's team to fix the Epic so that we no longer have the 80 going through the gaps? It's a process. <laughs> it is a process. It's not just Epic. It's also our purchasing system, our license system. It's all the different departments. It's the purchasing. It's the OR. It's it's everybody. It's a, it's a, every every hospital has to do it. I don't know anyone who does it perfectly. <laughs> Uh, we're also, you know, working on reducing our um, registry rates. We have been working on that. We are seeing 
the um the downturn of the rates now as we are looking at it negotiating renegotiating it as well so that um that is part of our bridge plan and um we're looking at you know q3 before we get all of that stuff in place um, we have our overtime reduction uh, to a more reasonable number. Um, it's 4.8% currently um, to 4% for the budget. And, and both of those two are much uh, smaller, nothing like what we put in the best initiatives last year. So I think these are much more doable. Um, and, you know, I, I, it, we all know that it had to do with COVID and supply and demand that really drove everything up. And I don't know how those rates can continue to the future. So, I, and I, and as Mark already pointed out, we've already negotiated some reductions. So, and you know, with our new grad program that we already have in place, that should funnel some of the nurses in. So, we have a length of stay initiative, um, which includes several tactics on it. Um, we are. Um, going to be reducing um, discharges at uh, let us say at all three facilities and we estimated an amount um, for that we've also got um, cardia healthcare uh, cardia health that we had just approved i think last month um, that should reduce our length of stay as well along with help our homeless um, be safe i think mark five today we have eight oh wow. so we started the agreement on Monday and at the end of the day today we'll have eight patients in our 20 bed unit there great and there'll be more it's, it's going to ramp up I think pretty fast and and this we actually built in the budget and and how we did this is we just put in more discharges because we always seem to have patients we just don't always have beds so what we did here is we uh, we added discharges which is more revenue um, but we kept our beds full which then keeps our whole staffing and our whole structure within our hospitals uh, more consistent with a run rate. And we netted up the expense for the cardia. So that's actually net of the expense. If I may, just another thing that we're working on, and we've talked about St. Rose and how we're trying to partner with them. They have applied to um, HCI to establish a subacute um, unit on their campus and so we wrote a letter of support for that unit and we've had subsequent conversations with uh, Lex Ready about um, helping them with their management of that unit because they've got some challenges there but also um, the possibility of reserving some of the beds there so again having dedicated beds that we know are available for us so that we can move patients there so between that and the CARDI agreement we think we will really be able to make some aggressive moves on addressing our length of stay challenges Next, we need site. Yeah. We're on. We're on. <laughs> so these are um, additional programs that we have. As you know, we're going uh, through the stroke center certification for our island, which would um, funnel some of the ambulances to bring the stroke uh, patients here at Highland. Um, we're already. Um, underway with expanding our dialysis uh, to a multi-room. In the past, they just do one dialysis at a time. Um, now we have a room that are, I'm not sure where we're at with that mark, but we had identified a room and then they can actually do two patients. It's being used. Oh, it's being used, sorry. So it's already done. So there we go. <laughs> 
All right. And then we've got a few things here that we still, that we haven't really uh, gotten agreement on, which is, you know, is there a way to reduce some of our um, employee health costs by incentivizing people to come to Alameda Health System? instead of paying some outside organization to take care of our employees. And Royal Ambulance, our bill for Royal Ambulance just keeps going up. And so we're thinking maybe maybe there's some way to try to restructure something to improve it. But at this point, they're not included in the totals, but they're still on my list. That one, we can add a number there. Oh, we can? Well, in the next month, yeah. We all right. <laughs> Good. So we're putting the structure to funnel all the ambulance requests through the transfer center. Excellent. All right, so next steps. This is a new slide, okay? So I told you there were two new ones in the deck and that we were presenting on, and then an appendix. So um, what do we got you know, to do here? So when we went back and started analyzing the budget, we wanted to make sure that when we had a performa for something, whatever the bottom line was, ended up being the bottom line in the budget. So for the San Leandro third floor, floor um, expansion, we're not so sure that happened quite right. So we think we might be able to pick up some profitability there. We also noticed that our payroll taxes seem really high, a big increase. And I don't know if that's just a function of the calculations within the budget model, but we think we have an opportunity to fix that. We also noticed that our volumes are not, they're lower than where we're currently gonna end FY23. And we think that if we go and look at exactly where our budget is below where we're running this year, we have an opportunity to add some more volumes without adding expense, because it's not, it's not big numbers, it's smaller numbers. So that we can um, basically be more efficient and gain that revenue. Um, we also know that there's this new ERCP program that we're doing internally. We were outsourced to John Muir for these procedures. And uh, we haven't finalized how to do that, but we're not gonna be paying John Muir, we're internalizing it. So we think there might be a better bottom line. What's ERCP? Uh, it is a- It's an esophageal procedure uh, where you go down in and look internally. And we've got our own physician coming in on it. I don't know when they start, Felicia. I don't know yeah. exactly. our outside payments to someone else and then we just need to look at the whole program and make sure that it makes sense in the budget and then we still haven't done our cdm increase and when we do the cdm increase a small piece of that increase is going to end up being additional commercial um, payments now our commercial payments is only six percent of our paramix so it's unfortunate that you know we're, it's not going to be a huge number but still it's something we need to do that's going to help and then um, we haven't done the cash flow on, on supplemental funding. So we need to look at every single one of our programs and guesstimate when we're gonna actually get the cash. Remember we talked about timing of the budget. Uh, Trustee Esteen, you asked, well, how do you manage you know, to not go over? Well, that's part of that. We need to know when, those, when the big funding's coming in 
so that we can manage the cash flow. And then we need your help, along with um, the Budget Oversight Committee, to help us you know, get to a place that we can um, afford our capital plan, which is still in process. So what we've got planned is we wanna review the entity financial statements by Canvas. We wanna look at where they're running. You saw Mario, or, uh, Mario Harding's presentation today with his entity financial statements. How does that compare to budget? Has he increased his costs? Has he improved anything? So we wanna um, take that back to every single campus, um, whoever's responsible there, and just make sure that their performance is sufficient, whatever that is. That's kind of the only word I could come up with because it's, it's not like um, we expect everybody to um, you know, cover all their direct costs this year, but we would like to see improvements. So that's one. Two, as I mentioned in my finance presentation, we have FTE creep. We can see that we've added a lot of FTE. Um, you know, we don't, we're not talking about layoffs or freezes at this point, but I feel like we need to go back and scrub and look to make sure that the FTEs are truly needed and supported by additional volume or new regulatory or some, some reason. So, uh, and that one, you know, I want to talk some more about, you know, how strongly we need to, we need to push on that. And then we talked about that request list, that request list, um, we need to prioritize it and decide if there's stuff in there that really has to go in the budget that we just cannot, you know, wait on and feel, figure out how to fund it. Um, and we have to get comfortable with, okay, what are the items that we're going to work on during the year? to try to figure this out at BOC because we can always make changes during the year um, as our financial situation evolves. And then lastly, of course, we have to finish that capital budget so we can bring that forward for you to approve um, at the June meeting. So um, I'm circling back to the middle section here about, um, you know, how strong we want to push. What is is there any guidance from finance committee on, on what I've presented, our gap? Um, can, is there any thoughts that you could share? I do. Trustee Splendorio. All right, well, this is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this again. Um, and I'll, maybe I'll start off with a comment. Uh, <clears throat> You know, to say that we need a capital budget based on available funds is I can interpret that two ways. I can interpret that, well, any budget depends on, a, on available funds. But I don't, so that didn't raise the question of why you put a qualifier to capital, capital plan. Uh, you know, my opinion is that you need a capital plan that, to, that brings us forward, that brings us, the, that satisfies the required treatment or the, the, the care that is required of the residents of Alameda Health System, and uh, you know, it's it's the rest of the rest of our jobs is to try to find that funding. But the fact that it's necessary is more important than. It, it, I mean, it's almost being treated as an well, it's a nice to have versus a need to have. Capital expenditures is a need to have, and I and I'm you know maybe I'm I'm in the minority here, but um, I, I just you know just fixing it. Fixing what's broken doesn't bring us forward, in my opinion. So that's, if you want feedback, that's my feedback. 
Well, I think uh, going along with that, maybe we would need to see uh, what you're putting in the budget and some things maybe that are not in the budget that would bring us forward if you thought the funding was there and maybe we could talk about what we can do uh, to provide the funding or as the finance committee and the board sees the budget, switch some priorities around. You know, and then there's always the opportunity for foundation funding or even in an extreme case, going to the board of supervisors and saying, look at, you know, here's our strategic goals and here's how, you know, here's what's a, a significant crying need for the, our patients to give them the kind of care they deserve and make their care equivalent to what Kaiser patients and Sutter patients get in the community. And maybe we need a little stretch in our NNB to take care of something like that. Um, so I would say, don't, you know, don't pull any punches with us on what, what we need uh, that if we don't get, it's going to delay our strategic plan or delay you know, community level of care to our patients an extra year or two. So, so it's not really in the CFO's office necessarily. It's, it's like what you're, I imagine you're doing, you're asking the executive team or the CAOs that what, you know, what do you think you need in terms of capital to provide what is, what we, you know, what we're required to provide. And I assume you're doing that throughout, Kim. It's just that, you know, I have a special, I, this is emphasis on capital and, and I don't want CAOs or the executive team to hold back. I mean, they should be encouraged, you know, give them, give, get a wish list. If they think they can provide better healthcare with, with, with investment and in capital, well, we should hear about it. I would, I would second everything that trustees Fox and Splendoria have said, and I would just add to that to say capital and infrastructure for quality. Like if we need more PIs, we need more QI folks. Like we hear the analysis uh, every time in our quality to say like, these are the dashboards and this is all pink and this is not being met. So it's great we have the analysis of like what's not being met, but then what's the plan? How are those plans? How are they happening? Do we have enough? infrastructure for that so the capital infrastructure the quality infrastructure all of that so it would then give us an idea like if this is if we want to bring our strategic plan to fruition what do we need to have in this foundational year and and being better than just you know the scarcity mindset we have and that helps us make that decision making too in terms of like okay now we have all this where do we put our money into like when it comes to what, what do we so we have a more holistic idea instead of you all scaling back already it is like mission forward and then we know and and each each trustee at the beginning and in february we asked like what is your aspiration why are you here on in on the board and what would you like to see this year one by one each one of them said we want our patients here to feel like they are a Kaiser or they are like, they get that. So I think that aspiration, like it's a journey, uh, but like just keeping that front and center would be really helpful for us. Can I ask a follow up? Uh, 
have we gone to the Board of Supervisors hat in hand for additional funds for stretching the NMB in recent memory? Special projects besides like no. the new hospital or not that I recall Kim Winani and NB, but we have gone to them on capital. And that's secured in this next year. Right. Uh, capital cost reimbursement. Um, in, we gave notice um, for several years in a row that we might not make the NNB. And um, that as a result of that, they held back our EPIC funding. Um, they've released it all now. Um, but they, you know, they were, they made it quite clear that they expect us to not exceed that NNB, which goes down five, you know, that goes down about 10 million every year. Five million, 10 million. Yeah. <laughs> There's a five minutes, that's correct. Um, so, uh, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I, um, I just know that, uh, you know, we have to give the notice and that they, their response back has been, you know, how are you going to get, you know, back on track? For us, luckily, the timing of the supplemental funds was causing the issue. It's, it's not that, you know, we were not managing things. And, you know, with 40% with of our funding coming from supplementals, that timing is everything, everything, you know, and that's why, you know, we will always need a line of credit. I think, you know, this is a totally separate question beyond this budget cycle, but like with the NMB shrinking by 5 million every year, it seems like at some point it gets to zero. And what is the assumption by the county, except that we know we need functioning cash in order to run this health system? Uh, how do we get to the point of not ever needing either the cash from the county, which I don't think is possible, or not having this magical mystery disappearing cash, you know, credit card? How do we, how do we avoid that? Well, I think the county would agree that they know we have to have one. I think the issue is what amount is it, right? And um, it would be great if you know, we were not always in a deficit situation. Our deficit has improved significantly. I mean, we were almost at 300 million and we're down to 50 million. I mean, that's like huge reduction in a matter of years here. And I'm hopeful we'll even improve upon that next year. Um, but it doesn't get us to a positive where we actually have financial resources. We don't we, other hospitals have, you know, investments, you know, and they have investment returns and, and, you know, we don't have that opportunity at all because we don't have any excess cash. Well, it seems to me that maybe from time to time as needed, uh, the board, uh, in addition to the management team needs to apprise the county on where we are in achieving our objectives in care for the community that we serve. Uh, you know, and we can report to them on, you know, individual status on things like our, our meeting our budget, meeting our capital budget, you know, improving our financial ratios uh, and, you know, passing, passing joint commission and other surveys. Um, but at, at some point, we also might need to go to them and say, look, uh, here's, here's how we're doing in supporting care for the patients across the county. And here's where, where we're doing as well as we should. And here's where we're falling down. And maybe here's what, here's what we need to, you know, to get back to the community 
standard of care that we feel we owe our patients. And maybe we, we do go to the health committee, uh, James and I and others go every quarter and we do provide a report um, and they're always very thoughtful and, and ask great questions and they're very engaged. Um, yes, indeed. And we also have the joint meetings with the supervisors. So we have one coming up soon. So, so I think those are both forums where we could have these sorts of conversations. Okay, well, I think you got an idea of where we're, where the board is at in terms of, in terms of the capital, especially. Yeah, the capital and on the operations, I mean, our guiding principles were not to, not to go into debt. So um, are we, are we, uh, we're still trying to achieve that in this process and we will uh, move forward um, on your direction with the budget oversight committee on these bullets I've listed out. Is that everyone's comfortable with that? Yeah. Yes, I am. So we're going to post this version for everyone. It does include um, some other slides, uh, material changes. It's, it's just the big dollar amounts. Um, I wasn't going to go through all these slides there. They'll be available for you to look at. You can always ask us questions. We're going to um, present also at the retreat. So we can talk more about that at this time or that time. Um, but you can see 242 FTE right there that are new uh, in the slide. Um, uh, the volumes that we've got in, you can kind of see why I think we have some opportunity there. Um, the supplemental, this doesn't have the cash flows in it, but it just shows year to year because it's such a substantial amount of our funding. Uh, so there may be some interest there. And then this is our FTE for adjusted patient days. It's basically the same information in the finance presentation, just a little, looks a little different. And then this is just the budget oversight committee and the assumptions they did that was in the, that one's not new, it was already in the deck. So if there's any questions, we'll entertain them or um, we can, you guys have this, you know that there's some additional information and if we want to talk about it at the, at the retreat, we can do that as well. Any other questions for Kim and Grace? Thank you. All right, thank you very much. I know there's still a lot of hard work ahead, so good luck in the coming month. Thank you. <laughs> and we're gonna move on to <laughs> item D, which is the contracts. Um, and in view of the hour and the fact that we do usually have one motion to approve all the contracts, I'm going to ask if uh, there is, are any questions or uh, uh, requests for explanation of, of number of D1 uh, amendment to the US, uh, UCSF professional services agreements uh, for general and, and trauma services. All right, hearing none, uh, we're gonna move on to D2, uh, agreement with the East Bay Foundation for Graduate Medical Education for surgical residents, uh, the for the AHS residency program. Are there any questions about this item or would anybody like Dr. Tona Benny to? 
further explain? I have a question about this item. In light of what we heard at the start of the meeting, how is this related? Oh, um, this is not related to that. So this is, um, so these are, uh, this is a UCSF residency program. This is just like compensation to the program for for, for, for the surgical residents that have been operating here for decades, but this is a separate program. Not CIO. No. So not all residents are covered by CIO. Okay, any questions on item D3, the agreement uh, for blood products from the American Red Cross? Okay, uh, any questions or requests for comments uh, on D4, the agreement with Brian Masterson for construction services at South Shore? I just have one, Alan. Why is it here? I thought we were supposed to only have over a million dollars. Good question. I'll try to answer that, Trustee. Um, our board threshold policy requires that there's an aggregation um, threshold. So if you look at the summary, and I'm looking at it now, we had already encumbered $985,000 during the fiscal year that did not come to you. The additional repairs pushed us over that $1 million, and that aggregation triggered the threshold requirement. Thank you, Ira. Okay. You're welcome. Any further question on D4? D5 is the agreement with the Alameda Health System Foundation for fundraising services for a three-year period beginning July 1, 2023 through uh, June 30th, 2026. Uh, board member uh, Michael Gomez, who's a member of the foundation board has requested to speak on this item. Mr. Gomez, please. Oh, thank, thank you, Trustee Fox. Um, I, I know that uh, Preston, I believe Preston is, is in the room um, at the Highland Care Pavilion. And I know he had a, um, a uh, you know, a brief presentation on our request to the extent that, that that would be helpful to the Board of Trustees. But I and I think Board Chair Melanie Shelby are both uh, on here by Zoom to lend support and to answer questions to the extent that having board members of the, of the foundation uh, comment on our request would be helpful. Um, the, the, uh, the budget proposal that is in front of you for the contract uh, was approved unanimously by the um, uh, the AHSF board. Uh, we're very excited about the, the uh, direction the foundation has taken under Preston's leadership over the last couple of years. We think we have a huge amount of momentum and having you know listened to the discussion here this evening, I know that there are a variety of areas, um, you know, given the budgetary stresses that the system is under, that I think the foundation can help with. Um, uh, you already asked about one such area. Capital seems to me clearly another area where we could spend some uh, a lot of time together figuring out where it was that the foundation could be most helpful in raising capital. And I know there are a variety of areas that I think that uh, Preston and, and uh, the ELT have been talking about where um, I, I know that we could be very helpful in helping to supplement that uh, those budgetary shortfalls. So with that as a brief introduction, um, again, if, if it's the, the trustee's desire to have Preston say a few words in, in, in terms of what it is that is being proposed, uh, I would turn it over to him, but otherwise I'd turn it back to you, Chairman Fox, and thank you again for giving, giving us on the HSF board a chance to uh, show our support this evening. Uh, any questions by the committee of, of Preston uh, about the contract or to any of the board members on, of the foundation? 
and we certainly can have Preston speak if uh, the members of the committee uh, uh, desire that. Okay, um, I have a couple of comments. Uh, uh, having spoken with Preston and the foundation board about this, uh, I think I understand where they're going. Um, and I support the foundation and congratulate them on their activities and their contributions to, to the organization. Uh, however, I, I think the fundraising goals and expense growth in the proposal are aggressive and the uh, financial situation of AHS over the next few years is definitely not secure. Uh, and if you look at the proposed salaries and benefits over the three years for the foundation, they increased 30% in 2024, 18% in 2025, and 8% in 2026. Um, and the ratio of expenses to uh, funds raised, uh, which is 57% this year, is going up to 69% in 2024. So uh, what I would like to request is I support the idea of the three-year co uh, contract, but I would like it to have an allowance in it that would allow for the board of AHS to request reduced expenses if either the foundation is not achieving its fundraising goals or if AHS's foundation, uh, AHS's financial condition requires a reduction in support. For instance, if we're bumping up against our NNB limit uh, and the foundation were not to be making its fundraising goals that the administration of AHS would have the opportunity for an opener uh, to possibly cut back support and reduce the possibility that we could exceed our debt limit to use a popular phrase these days. And I would like to ask if the foundation would accept the, uh, these additions to any contract that's negotiated. Uh, Chair Fox, we uh, accept that. I think in the history of the contracts we've had with the health system, there's always been an active, healthy conversation with the CEO, in this case, James Jackson leadership as the health system's financial circumstances change over time. Uh, when I started in the role, and I think it was one James's interim, we actually returned the dollars on the last contract cycle that we determined we would not be using because of the situation at that point with the health system financially. So we're supportive of that and are able and willing partners in supporting the health system towards the goals of fiscal responsibility. Thank you very much for that. I would also request that the Finance Committee put on its agenda a review of the Foundation's performance at its February 2024 meeting. So we can look at the first few, first half of fiscal 2024, especially having seen the results of the end of the year fundraising season, which is the big part of the year for the, for the Foundation's activities. Um, so I'm comfortable given uh, the comments that I made and the additions I requested. Are there any other questions by the members of the committee? This is Kinkini. I just uh, say again that thank you to Preston and team and to uh, Michael and Melanie. We've had many conversations too, and I can see uh, the due diligence that and the rigor that you are putting into this 
process, like there is a background of uh, questions that you have asked. And so I'm hoping that, you know, we will get a chance like when we uh, do hear some of those as well, but having this reciprocity in this process is really appreciated and uh, understood. Thank you. Okay, uh, I would entertain a motion to accept and all five, uh, for the finance committee to recommend the approval of all five uh, contracts on the agenda to the full board of trustees. Chair Fox, if I may interrupt, uh, D4 will, would need special treatment. I spoke with Mark, he can explain in uh, full detail, but it appears that we may need more than what the estimated impact is, uh, what you place on the agenda of 300,000. I don't, Mark, I don't believe we have that number now. Yeah, we'll know before it goes to full board next week, but an item came up today on the project that we don't know yet if contingency will cover it. We're hoping it will, the 160 contingency, not sure. So um, as soon as we get clarity on that within the next few days, it'll be ready for full board um, per Ahmad's uh, suggestion. Okay. So the, the committee may uh, wish to uh, grant a conditional recommendation to the board subject to the final amount. Okay, that's what I was going to suggest. Okay, would a committee member care to make a motion to approve all five proposed contracts with the subject to that uh, Mr. Azizi just spoke about for D4? Do you also want a motion to include your dialogue with uh, Mr. With Walton, Mr. Walton about uh, his acceptance of additional terms? Yes. Okay. Well, and I'll make, I can make that motion, motion for one through three, just as uh, the recommendation as provided for in the staff report. Number four, with the proviso that our general counsel has added regarding a provisional acceptance to be, to a provisional recommendation to the board uh, in light of what may happen in the next few days regarding the increase in that 300 round. And then also with number five, uh, to approve that budget with the, uh, additional terms that were stated on the record uh, between um, Chairman Fox and um, Mr. Walton. Is that acceptable, Ahmad? Does that make sense? Can we hear a second? Second. Okay. Is that Trustee Steen? Yes. Roll call, please. Trustee Steen. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Obligacion. Aye. Trustee Sain. Aye. Trustee Splendorio. Aye. The motion passes. Okay, and just one added item. Uh, Mr. Jackson is going to make some comments on uh, today's shooting in Atlanta. Mr. Jackson. Absolutely. Um, thank you very much, Trustee Fox. And, you know, I know we're the hours late, but I really felt compelled to just um, offer some reflections on what happened in Atlanta today. It's unconscionable that a healthcare facility designed for healing would be targeted by another senseless act of gun violence. An attack on our fellow healthcare providers is an attack on us all. As the only level one trauma center in the East Bay, we're on the front lines of gun violence every day. We see firsthand what bullets do to bodies, families, and communities. As such, we are tasked with the work of healing physical, 
emotional, as well as spiritual wounds from gun violence. Alameda Health System stands in solidarity with Northside Hospital and all the victims of the relentless gun violence that plagues our culture today. I reached out to our internal security team. Our security officers have received active shooter training and are vigilantly observing our campuses for suspicious activity. AHS security and our law enforcement partners are on high alert. As I have said before in different forms, we're not interested in perpetuating sensationalized dialogues about gun violence that stigmatize our community. AHS is looking to engage in meaningful actions that uplift the strengths as well as the resilience of our community. Gun violence is a health inequity that disproportionately impacts low impact income communities of color. In Alameda County, the same areas that have the most gunshot wound related emergency department visits also have the highest rates of stroke, diabetes, and heart disease. AHS supports and advocates vigorously for all interventions that address gun violence specifically, as well as broad inter broadly interventions that address the health inequities that make us all sick and unsafe. Thank you very much for the opportunity. All right, thank you for that. And uh, I think we're all saddened that what happened today and that comments like those that you just made are, are necessary. That uh, brings us to the end of the agenda and, and we're adjourned until uh, I believe June 7th. Thank you, good night. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Say